Let's open in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 9 this morning. Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 35, we'll make our way into chapter 10 this morning as well. We have been making our way through Matthew's gospel, and we've called our series The King and His Kingdom, as the main message of this gospel is the fact that Christ is King and His kingdom has come. It's amazing how the Lord orchestrates things from time to time. As you know, we, we do expositional preaching here. We just preach the next passage that's up without any excuse or compromise. And here we are this morning talking to the Hazens about mission, and we've come to what's really the second of five major sermons preached by Jesus in Matthew's Gospel. The first is the Sermon on the Mount, and this sermon we might call the Sermon on the Mission. The Sermon on the Mission. We find our passage here in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, all the way through chapter 10 and verse 15. As we turn there, this is what we read in God's Word. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these, first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, Cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it, and if the house is worthy, Let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, it's fitting that we have just finished singing together of our need for Christ in every hour and in every minute, and certainly no less right now. Lord, we pray that as we sit with our Bibles open and as we hear the Word of Christ, that You would be at work in our hearts to help us to see the fields are ripe for harvest and have a burning desire to be sent out and to help send others out into those harvest fields. 
We pray for the name and the glory and the renown of Jesus. Amen. Many hands make light work. I'm sure you've heard that phrase. That's the name of the game right now in a Washington Post article about the Washington Wizards being uh, on a staff of pastors who are a little bit obsessed with basketball. I know that today at 6 o'clock, NBA free agency will begin. The Washington Wizards, one of the teams in the NBA, has a unique strategy in that they currently do not have a president of basketball operations. When asked about this, Ted Leonsis, one of their uh, managing partners, said, As I have said, we will likely use many hands make light work as a mantra as we seek to establish a new organizational construct that is in line with what the future of the NBA will look like. A new organizational construct. Many hands make light work. I think it's fairer to say that many hands make lighter work. They don't make the job completely easy, they make it easier. We understand what that phrase means. It's sort of this idea that a task is too big for any one person, but when we shoulder the task together, we can sort of get our arms around it. It makes the task manageable. And that is certainly the case when it comes to the ongoing task of Christian mission. Many hands make lighter work. That is certainly one of the dominant themes in Jesus' sermon on the mission that we have here in Matthew chapter 9 and 10. If I do anything this morning, I simply want to show you that in His compassion for the lost, Jesus sends out His followers to reach the lost. In His compassion, Jesus sends out His followers to reach the lost. Let's not miss the obvious here on the face of the text before we even dive in this morning. Even during the earthly ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ, the task of reaching the nations with the Gospel was greater than Jesus could handle alone. That is not to say that He does not empower the ministry of His followers, but it is to say that the task of reaching the nations with the Gospel is, in fact, a church-sized task. It requires each and every one of us. Now, the structure of the passage in front of us is fairly simple and straightforward. We have it simply with the headings in the ESV. In verses uh, 35 to 38, the end of chapter 9, we see that Jesus has compassion for the crowds. In chapter 10, verses 1 to 4, that Jesus calls his apostles to himself. And then in verses 5 through 15, that Jesus sends his apostles out on mission. Because in his compassion, again, Jesus sends out his followers to reach the lost. Now let's just find our way through the text and see how this unfolds. Number one, Jesus has compassion for the crowds. Look with me again at verse 35 of chapter 9. We read, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. We have what amounts to a simple summary statement of the ministry of our Lord. 
We have that already in chapter 4, just before the Sermon on the Mount, in verse 25 of chapter 4. Great crowds followed him. I'm sorry, verse 23 of chapter 4. He went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. The picture that we have of Jesus is one of tireless ministry. Non-stop rolling up of his sleeves and ministering. And what did that ministry look like? It was revolved around teaching, preaching, and healing. Spurgeon says it really well when he says threefold was his ministry, expounding the old, that is teaching the Old Testament, proclaiming the new, announcing the arrival of the kingdom, and healing the disease. That was the ministry of Jesus. Now, if you're anything like me, you take joy in a job well done. You do this. You spend a long afternoon mowing the lawn and you then look over all the straight and perfect lines that you have artistically cut into the grass and you think, you know, I'll have an iced tea on the back porch and just admire my handiwork. You finish the paper with perfect grammar or passable grammar, great argumentation and spell checked and you think, I'll have one more read over my paper before I send it in to my professor. You clean the house, you vacuum, you dust, and you decide you'll sit down with your legs up before the children come home and completely trash the place. You take joy in a job well done. What I want you to notice here is that there is none of that for Jesus. In light of all of this frenzied ministry, in light of all of the hard work that Jesus has been about, there is no sitting back and enjoying a job well done. What there is, on the other hand, is the observation that the job isn't well done. Look at what Jesus does in verse 36. As He's finished all of this ministry, it says when He saw the crowds, He had compassion for them. There is no sitting back and relaxing. There is only the realization that he has only begun to scratch the surface. And what remains in front of him can only be described as a great crowd. This has been happening all throughout the ministry of Jesus in Matthew's Gospel. We've read of this over and over and over again. The crowds begin to follow him. In chapter 8, when he finishes the Sermon on the Mount, we're told that great crowds begin to follow him. And to this point, we've had a glimpse of how the crowds view Jesus, sometimes with amazement, sometimes with fear, sometimes with astonishment. But here, in a beautiful stroke, we get to see for the first time the way that Jesus sees the crowds. As Jesus looks out on this mass of people, we're told he had compassion for them. Beautiful word. The sense of the word in the Greek is sort of this guttural, visceral. It has, has the idea of a feeling which comes from the bowels of pity for this mass of people wandering as it were like sheep without a shepherd, harassed and helpless. Now, of course, Matthew here is drawing on the rich history of the Old Testament and the defective shepherding that had happened in ancient Israel. As Ezekiel says in chapter 34 of his prophecy, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Here is a sermon 
preached in opposition to the pastors of ancient Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered, they wandered over the mountains on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. And as Ezekiel goes on, he pictures a day when the Lord Himself will come and correct the dereliction of duty of ancient Israel's shepherds, and He Himself will be their shepherd. He looks out on this mass of humanity, lost in sin, hopeless and helpless, believing silly fiction, enslaved to destructive, sinful patterns of living, and notice what He does not do. He does not look at them and say, you fools. He looks at them and says, no shepherd. No one sought after them. Of course they're like that. Filled with visceral compassion for the people. And from this compassion springs His command. Then He said to His disciples, the harvest is plentiful. That is, there are many A countless multitude we see in Revelation. Many who are prepared to be brought into the kingdom. The problem is not that there are not people who will come into the kingdom. The problem is that there are not laborers to go and bring them in. That's the problem. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray. Therefore, pray. Loved ones, if you've come to church this morning hoping for a bit of practical application, here it is. It's so simple and so plain and yet so profound. What will we do when faced with a lost and dying world? We will pray. We will pray for the Lord to send out workers into His harvest so that the peoples might praise Him. We will be serious about this task. This is a rebuke to me in my private prayer life this week as I studied this passage and thought about how much of my private prayers go, go into the, so the procuring of blessing for myself and my family, for keeping Christians out of heaven rather than keeping non-Christians out of hell. Pray, Jesus says. Pray that the Lord might bring up workers and send them out into the harvest. That's been my prayer for First Baptist Church all week. That we might be a place that, that raises up under God and by His grace people to work in His harvest fields so that many, not only in Lawrence County, not only in Pennsylvania or the United States, but the whole world might come to know Jesus. When have you prayed, Lord, would you raise up gospel workers? Lord, would you send me into your mission field? I was talking to one of you this week during VBS and the topic of evangelism came up and the the suggestion was, I just feel so guilty about how little I evangelize. And I said, I I echo that. I feel guilty about it too, but you know what? No amount of guilt is going to get you on the task. 
I can guarantee you. Anytime you're guilted into something, you go begrudgingly, don't you? You know that from your life. I better get on with evangelism, ho-hum. But when the kind of compassion that Jesus has for the crowds grips our hearts, when His love and mercy for a lost and dying world grips our hearts, then we're no longer fueled by guilt. But then we can say with Paul, the love of Christ compels us. And we will be on our knees. Lord, would you raise up workers and send them out into the field? Jesus has compassion for the crowds. And secondly, Jesus calls his apostles to himself. Now here's what's beautiful about the command of Jesus is that you might think in his command to pray that Jesus is simply encouraging us to be passive. Just pray and God will take care of it. But notice what Jesus does. He commands us to pray And then in the very next instance, He answers the prayer He commands us to pray. He is the Lord of the harvest. He is the Lord of the the universe. And so He calls His apostles to Himself, and then He sends them out into His harvest. First, He calls them to Himself. Verse 1 of chapter 10. He called to Him His twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction, The names of the twelve apostles are these. Now we have to pause for a minute. We're going to take a little skirt outside of the main idea of the passage because we need to learn how to read the Bible well. Because there are thousands of errors that we could commit if we don't rightly understand what's happening here. Notice that when Jesus calls His apostles to Himself, I did not call the heading disciples, I called it apostles because though he calls the disciples, they then are called the twelve apostles. When he calls them to himself, it is to them that he preaches the sermon on the mission. That's important. Who is the sermon on the mission preached to? Is it preached to you and me? 21st century church in Lawrence County, Pennsylvania, First Baptist? No. That does not mean it's not applicable to us, but it does mean that it is preached to 12 very specific men in a very specific time and place. These 12 men that are called apostles. Apostles. Now, I don't care where you've heard this or who has said it to you, there are no apostles today. Someone says, I'm an apostle. Doesn't matter how much flowery language they use, they're not an apostle. To be an apostle, I want to just give you a few headings so that you understand uh, this unique group of men in the church. To be an apostle, apostles must have been appointed by Jesus and witnessed his resurrection. They had to have been with Jesus, appointed by him, and a witness to his resurrection. I'll give you a reference, Acts chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, after Judas dies, in order to choose another apostle, they choose one who had been with them from the beginning and who had seen Jesus resurrected. 1 Corinthians 15, 7 and 8, Paul talks about how he had seen the risen Jesus, and because of that, he is an apostle. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1, Paul says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Apostles were appointed by Jesus and witnessed his resurrection. Secondly, apostles were uniquely vested with Jesus' authority for signs and wonders. So look at the passage. Chapter 10, verse 1. He gave His disciples authority. And what kind of authority is that? Do you notice that what the apostles do is exactly what Jesus has been doing? 
They have authority over unclean spirits. They cast them out. They heal every disease and every affliction. It sounds a lot like chapter 9, verse 35. Why? Because Jesus invests this, 12 group, this group of 12 men with his authority for signs and wonders. 2 Corinthians 12, 12, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience with signs and wonders and mighty works. Number three, apostles laid the foundation for the church and are no longer active within the church apart from the writings in the New Testament. It's Ephesians 2, 19 and 20, the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, suggests that today there are no longer apostles and prophets. We have the Bible. We listen to the Bible. That's the word from the Lord to us today. Why is that important? See, Mike, you're being a little pedantic. I don't understand what this little diatribe's about with apostles. Here's the reason. We have to be sensible as we approach the Bible to understand that the way that we apply the text is the way that God demands that we apply the text. So, therefore... As we move into verse 5 of chapter 10, it would not be fair to say that our only mission field is Israel, would it? It wouldn't make sense. That'd be a misapplication of the text. As we move into chapter 10, as we talk about mission, it would be a misapplication of the text to say one of our primary goals is to heal the sick and raise the dead. Have you ever raised someone from the dead? Have you ever tried to raise someone from the dead? The next time you do, call me. I want to film it. Right? No apostles. We have to be sensible in the way that we apply the Bible in order to glorify God and live in light of His Word. There are no longer apostles. It would be as strange in the church today for someone to turn up and say, I'm an apostle, as it would be for someone to walk into the Capitol building and say, you know, I'm one of the founding fathers. Someone says, you, you must be really old and crazy. No apostles. Jesus calls his apostles to himself. He sends them out on mission. Now again, this is not to say that this passage doesn't have application to us, and we're going to walk through this. Jesus sends his apostles on mission, and he sends you and I on mission as well. Here are the three areas in which I think we can apply what Jesus says to the apostles to us today. Number one, our message, our mission is to preach the gospel of the kingdom. It is to preach the gospel of the kingdom. Verse 5, These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans. That's overturned in the Great Commission. Go to all nations, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And here we go. Proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. What is Christian mission? That's a vital question. You'll never be involved in Christian mission unless you know what it is. And if everything's mission, then nothing's mission. You follow? What is the mission of the church? It is, very simply, according to Jesus, to proclaim the kingdom of heaven, the gospel of the kingdom. That is to say that our message to a lost and dying world isn't simply, you better get your morality in check. Our mission to the world isn't simply to do good deeds in Jesus' name. Those are good things. But mission, biblically framed, is simply proclaiming that the kingdom of God has come in Jesus, that outside of Jesus, you and I are rebels against the King and His throne. We sin against Him in thought and word and deed. 
And what does a king do with rebellious subjects? He punishes them. So God in His holiness must punish sin. But in His great love for us, the king has come to take the punishment himself, living a perfect life, never sinning, dying on the cross as a sacrifice for sin, rising again from the dead, and welcoming rebels into His kingdom by faith alone. Simply bowing the knee to King Jesus, saying, yes, Lord, I am a rebel against Your will. I beg for Your pardon in light of Your work on the cross for me. Please welcome me into Your kingdom. That's the mission. Now, we got to say this, guys. We could be doing everything else other than proclaiming the Gospel of the kingdom, and if that's the case, we're not involved in mission. No pats on the back. The only time we're actually actively engaged in the mission as Jesus conceives of it is when we proclaim Christ as King, the saving Lord who's come to bring the kingdom of God in power and fullness as rebels are welcomed into His kingdom. You understand? This is what we're sent out to do. This is what you and I are sent out to do. You get a a sense for why many hands make light work. This is an impossible task. Our message is the gospel of the kingdom. Secondly, I call this the principle of freely, freely, I say to you. Verses 8 to 10. Jesus says at the end of verse 8, you receive without paying, give without pay. There's this strange bit about the uh, apostles not taking any gold or silver or bags or tunics or sandals or staffs and what have you. We can get confused on that. The point is is that Christian ministry is free. Free. Jesus freely bestows His grace on His people. He freely saves His people apart from any works. And so He demands of us that we minister in His name for free. That means a good pastor will never gripe or demand a larger salary. That means a faithful gospel worker in the church will never seek to leverage their service in the church for special benefits in the church. It means rather that everything is done out of the freeness of God's grace given to us and then given to others. So, well, that's convenient for you to say, Mike, you collect a salary from First Baptist Church, don't you? And I absolutely do. D.A. Carson writes that the church should not pay its clergy for services rendered, as if somehow ministers and others live by earning their keep. Pushed to the limit, this might also suggest that a servant of the Lord is paid so much per prayer, so much per sermon, and so much per hour of preparation, so much per counseling session with a distraught widow who has just lost her son, and so on. No, the church does not pay its ministers. Rather, it provides them with resources so that they are able to serve free. You wouldn't want me to charge you per sermon. If I got that opportunity, you wouldn't even be able to afford me. I know how inflated my head is. No, I receive freely from your kindness so that I might serve you freely. Paul uses this passage in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 8, when he says that elders who rule well are worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching, for the Scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. We go with the support and help of those in our ministries who seek to aid us on our way. So, the gospel of the kingdom is our message. We cannot compromise on that. Freely, freely, I say to you. And thirdly, we call this the principle of multiplication meets division. 
Now, if you listen to the podcast, or I should say when you listen to the podcast and you listen to the way in which we talk as a staff, one of the things that you're going to hear is multiplication beats addition every time. Let that sink in. Multiplication beats addition every time. The principle is very simple. It's just what Jesus is doing here. If myself or Pastor Jonathan or Jeremy or Scott or Vicki or Christy, if we're the only ones engaged in gospel ministry, we're doing addition. But if all of us are engaged in gospel ministry, we're doing multiplication. And that wins every day. But here, Jesus tells us that when we multiply and when we're sent out into the mission field, sometimes multiplication meets division. Meets division. We have that uh, here in verse 11. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it, and if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. If it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. What in the world is Jesus talking about? The best way, I think, to understand this is in 2 John verses 10 and 11. There, John is writing to Christians and telling them not to receive certain people. He says, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him, here we go, takes part in his wicked works. So on the flip side here, when Jesus says go to a town and find someone who's worthy, he's talking about someone who's worthy and receptive to the message of the gospel, willing to support you as you serve in gospel ministry. Once you find that person, stay with them. But what stands out most on the page in front of us is the fact that not everyone will be receptive to the message. We have to fasten that in our minds. Not everyone will be receptive to the message. Loved ones, there is no amount of dressing up the gospel that's going to make the message of sin and grace more palatable to anybody. We get that idea. There is no way of sugarcoating or watering down the message of Christ crucified. As Paul says, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Greeks. That's our gospel. That's the gospel of the kingdom in contemporary society. You don't believe me? You just go down to the, next, the, most, the, the nearest secular university and you start, start telling people about Jesus. And you tell me whether it's not a stumbling block and foolishness today as much as it was then. There's no dressing this message up. There will be division. There will be those who reject. But graciously, there will be those who receive. If you and I are going to be sent out on the mission as Jesus conceives of it, we'd better be ready to be rejected. We'd better be ready to be deserted. Listen to a friend preach. I say he's a friend. I use that very loosely. Listen to a man named Rico Tice preach about being kicked out of dinner parties over the gospel. See, it's easy. It's really easy to tell people to reform their lives morally. Who can't do that? Oprah Winfrey does that. You start telling people about the only Savior being Jesus, and that's when friction starts. There are those who will reject. Mercifully, there are those who will receive. I want you to notice here, stark warning for those of us who have yet to trust in Christ. Verse 15, truly I say to you, Jesus says, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Do you know Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis 19? Rife 
sexual assault, homosexuality, fire and brimstone rain down on the city in light of their wickedness. And here Jesus says, understand this, rejecting the light of the gospel is a far greater sin. It is a far greater sin. There are some of us who have been coming to First Baptist Church for as long as the Hazens have been here and have yet to bow the knee in personal faith and trust to Jesus as Lord and King. I say to you, my dear friend, that according to the light that you have been given, you will be judged. According to the clarity of the Gospel that you have had preached to you, you will be judged. It is a far greater sin to go on resisting Christ's compassionate call to enter into the kingdom than it is to be involved in the cesspool of sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's far greater. So what will you do? What will you do? What this passage puts before us is nothing short of a reason for living. Every now and then you'll find someone who questions the meaning of life. What's it really all about? There's got to be something more. And they're absolutely right. But you know what I've noticed just in my 37 years of life, my short life to this point, is that no sooner does someone grasp onto one meaning for life than they, than they find another, and another, another, and so on. But what I've never observed is a truly converted believer or follower of Jesus saying, you know, I just am starting to question what it's all about. We have one life. And you know what that life is about? It is to know Christ and to make Him known. That's why God made you, to know Him. And if you do know Him, he, He's... He's not taking you instantly into heaven, wiped away every tear from your eye or eliminated every sorrow from your life yet. Why? So that you might make Him known. That's why you're still here. You want a reason for living, loved ones. Trust fully in Jesus. Enter into His kingdom. Do so today and then make Him known. Let His compassion for the crowds, the compassion for someone like you or for someone like me who had no right to call Him Lord, let that compassion sink in and let it propel you out. Many hands make lighter work. The task is so great, but the fields are so ripe. So let's harvest. Let's drink deeply of His grace and then pour ourselves out for others. Let's pray. Lord, we've had a full morning of thinking about Your task of mission in the world. We've sung, may the peoples praise You. The nations be glad. Sung of your harvest. We've heard of 
the training of laborers to be raised up and sent out into your harvest field. And now we've heard, we've listened in to Jesus' sermon on the mission given to his apostles, and we've sought to, to wrestle with how it might apply to us today. Well, we're not apostles, but we are your people, and you have sent us out. We know that the kingdom of heaven is our message, and we're to preach it freely, and we're to expect division. Lord, there are some of us here who undoubtedly will be plagued by a sense of guilt for the lack of evangelism that they do, and I'm one of them. And I pray that you would uproot that guilt and instead that you would plant your compassion for people. And that as we reflect on the compassion of Christ for us, that we be propelled out into your harvest field. Or would you raise up among our number laborers in Jesus' name. Amen.